Crimson Tower Studios. Before we get onto the show, one thing we wanted to let you know. Our friends over at Garblag Games are doing Season 3 of Flint and Steel. I can't do it as cool as Pete, but uh, it's super exciting. Uh, we're huge fans of Flint and Steel and Garblag Games, and pretty much everything Pete does is awesome. So we definitely want you to go check it out. But when we release this, it'll be like a day or two. It's going to be this Thursday once this releases. But uh, if you are listening to it past that point, uh, Season 3 of Flint and Steel is already out there. So definitely go check it out. Check out their YouTube channel. Just uh, Google Garblag Games. And we'll have a link on our show notes as well. We're super excited about it. So uh, go check out Flint and Steel. Thanks. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and tonight I'm not only joined by my co-host Matt and Steve, but we're also joined by the assistant producer of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th edition, Ben Sherry. Ben, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here. It's been a long time, and I've been uh, been wanting to talk to you for for all of it, mostly. Awesome, yeah. No, we've been super excited to to have you join us as well. So, Ben, why don't you tell us and your listeners a little bit about yourself? Who are you, and what do you do in the gaming community? Right. Okay. So, yes, my name is Ben Sherry. Uh, I am currently an assistant producer on Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Fourth Edition for Cubicle Seven. Uh, before that, I was a staff writer uh, for almost a year um and uh the the assistant producer position has been in the last couple of months so that's been getting me on board um more directly involved with creating books and and setting the sort of creative direction for where the books are going and really taking a load off andy's shoulders because andy is the busiest person i know uh so any help that can um can be given there is is appreciated uh but in the wider gaming community i have been making role-playing games for about six years now i think mostly small indie things that are very silly or um hyper fixated on like one specific topic but i've also done a bunch of second edition wolfrup uh mods and and uh fan supplements oh that's awesome that's sort of yeah, that, that's sort of how I, I got properly started in um, in the wider Warfare community because I had been playing second edition since um, since 2007. And then I just started hacking it um, and building new things into it. And as my campaigns progressed, we realized we needed this system or that system and... Um, and so I built it, and that eventually came to the the attention of some folks in the the woofer business, and here I am. Awesome, man. I feel like that's a great lesson for our listeners, too, that if you're super passionate about it, just keep writing, right, and keep making things and keep keep building within yeah. the hobby. You never know what kind of opportunity might open Right, up. for sure. Make things, make things, and reach out to the people who make them. Yeah. Because Bold. they don't have time to find anything. 
But if you have something cool out there and people in the community are talking about the things that you're writing, then they will know your name by osmosis and may then have time, like may put aside some time to check out what you've done. And then, you know, it'll build from there, hopefully. Before we move on to what we've been up to, first, we'd like to thank our outstanding Patreon backers. Their generous donations helped to make this show possible. All right. So, Chris Madden, thank you. Yes, thank you, Chris. We definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to join this fine example and buy us a beer or some tea, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help us continue to bring you discussion and actual play in the grim and gritty world of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. All right. So one of the things we love to do here is uh, we'd like to talk about what kind of gaming we've been up to. So, guys, what kind of gaming have you been up to this month? So, Matt, why don't you start? Well, the last little bit absolutely has been filled with prep for Gen Con and then going to Gen Con. And apparently, I always assumed that if you got con crud, it came like during the show or right after the show. It is now day like three after the show, and that's when I first started developing these awful symptoms. Mm. So. I'm uh, going to do my best to hang in there, but I am fighting a bit of the con crud. But yeah, Gen Con was awesome. If you haven't already listened to our Gen Con bonus episode, definitely go back and listen to that. It is uh, close to an hour of us talking about everything that we saw and experienced at Gen Con, new news that came out, stuff like that. On the horizon, though, I'm finally getting around to organizing a group for the starter set, which I'm very excited about. And I'm hopeful it's going to be a starter set for all new people to Warhammer. Um, all of them, I believe have played, yes, all of them have played role-playing games, but they've not done Warhammer yet. And everybody I've talked to about Warhammer, I keep telling them how awesome of a world it is and Mm -hmm. that it's super dark and grim and perilous and gritty and deadly. So I think, I think it's going to be good. I'm really hopeful that they, they love it so that I can, Mm -hmm. I can run them through rough nights, all the fun stuff that's in there. And then maybe fingers crossed the enemy within. Give them a disease nice. right off the bat. That that'll that'll bring them in. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Nurgle's touch right on the first <laughs> first roll. What about you, Steve? What have you been up to, man? Well, uh, Gen Con 2019 was this month's big event. Definitely had a wonderful time. Definitely one day is not enough. Definitely need a couple more days to fit everything in. All right. Well, uh, as far as gaming for me, uh, Gen Con has been most of it. Um, I've been, I've I've done a couple of things. I just picked up uh, Disc Wars, Warhammer Disc Wars, which is a Fantasy Flight Warhammer like, it's like Fantasy Battles except with cardboard circles. It's, uh, it's Steve. You and I need to talk, buddy, because um, I I think we need to try this. But it's uh, it's something I picked up and I've been playing around with. It. I haven't actually got to play it yet, but I'm super excited to. Uh, it's not in production anymore, so um, and I think, oh, okay. yeah, I think it's one. I actually Twitter. Um, oh, I forget his handle on Twitter, but the guy that does it always reigns in Nuln, um had suggested it, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And uh, if you haven't looked at the Always Reigns in Nuln blog, you should definitely check that out. He's got some cool stuff. But um, anyway, he had suggested. I'm like, huh, I've never really wanted to, but on his suggestion, I literally went out to eBay. I'm like, oh, that's a good price. I'll just get it, and I did. Um, and, uh, I'm pretty stoked. So, uh, but that's about it for me. Uh, what about you, Ben? What kind of gaming you've been up to lately? So I've, uh, I, I sadly didn't get to go to Gen Con, um, which 
I, I, you know, have been um, sitting at home in Australia crying about, but that's mm. fine. Um, <laughs> but no, I've I've, uh, I've actually been pretty busy planning a few campaigns, um, mostly Wolfra. Um, I I want to get uh, my Rough Nights campaign off the ground. Um, actually, the one that I wrote about in the blog post. Awesome. And I, um, I'm also planning a little sort of Soland uh, Jacobite Rebellion kind of silly game um, that that uh, I have no idea if it's going to get off the ground or if it's going to work or not. But who knows? It might. Um, I have a, a pretty good track record with. Uh, running campaigns based on a very strange premise, and then it um, <laughs> it devolving into insanity quickly. <laughs> that, that that sounds perfect. That's how all good campaigns <laughs> should devolve. Warhammer. Yeah, that's how it works, right? That's that's Warhammer. All right, so uh, let's move on to announcement and news. This is a part of the show where we keep you up to date on Woofrup and related news. We had some information we already went over in Gen Con, but we have a little bit more information to kind of reiterate and go over here as well. Why don't you get us started, Steve? Yeah, sure thing. Uber's Wreck Adventures, the Mad Men of Gotham PDF, has been released. Uh, it is available at DriveThruRPG for $4.99. Not a bad price. Uh, Adventures is set in the Duchy of Uber's Reich. It can be run alone or in combination with the other starter set and Uber's Reich Adventures. Yeah, we actually got some information from Graham on this. Uh, he, so I had heard, and and I don't know if Ben, you knew this. I'm, you probably did. No, um, but this is like this whole concept is based on a village in England, like a real village with real stories. Yes, and yeah. it's 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 fascinating. He went into a bunch of detail on it, and then like it's also linked to. The United States, there was a like a village and like it ended up this ended up being like Gotham City from Batman was indirectly. It, yeah. Inspired like Gotham City. Yeah. So um it was really cool. He had this whole history on it and stuff, and it just goes to show inspiration can come from anywhere, right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. We'll probably talk a little bit more about that <laughs> later as well, I think. Yeah, I'm I fully expect that. <laughs> so and and on that note, let's talk a little bit. So um so Ben, you are the man behind all of the blog posts, the the FAQs, um the thank goodness for that shield article. I was tired of answering questions <laughs> on that one. Um yeah. that was that was like I was I was like, "Oh, thank you, Ben. <laughs> I needed shield so bad." <laughs> and uh I was you know, say you you basically have a permanent uh, spot in our podcast every whenever we get to our news episode, it's always about oh the next Ben episode or the, right. the next Ben oh, blog. Wonderful. Yeah, so. no, it's and he's not kidding. It's uh, it's a lot. So um, well, there 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 really are great articles, and I think every single one that we've talked about, which has been all of them so far, but right. we always reference you know why it's an important read, and also who would benefit most from it. Whether it should be a player that reads it, a GM that reads it, mm. or both. Right, and like the like one of my favorites is the elf one because uh, we you know our elf player. I immediately told her go read that article. That's yeah, that was that was one of my favorites to write. Honestly, I really love that that article. Awesome. Well, hey, so instead of me telling our listeners and you what you wrote, why don't you tell us a little bit about the rough and almost ready? Uh, yeah. Blog okay. Um, so yeah, rough and almost ready. Um, it's a a deep dive into. Um, into Rough Nights and Hard Days, 
and it was sort of spurred on because I uh, I was thinking about in my own time how I was going to run rough nights and hard days, and uh, like a lot of the blog posts, I was on Ratcatchers Guild, the the unofficial Discord server, on our Facebook group, and on Twitter, seeing how people were talking about um, talking about Wolfrip at the moment, and asking the question, how are you going to run uh, rough nights and hard days to each other? So I thought, why not write up a post about it? Uh, so it goes into like the, the working parts of, of what's in the campaign, uh, how to tailor a campaign directly to your characters and, and make it um, not just a published adventure going off the book. Um, then it sort of talks about the individual adventures themselves and how they might work together uh, and how you might build um, a lattice work around that so that it's not just a string of five connected adventures. It is itself a whole campaign. And then the, in my opinion, the most important part of every campaign is uh, a discussion of the themes and what exactly the campaign is trying to say and how you can better say that through through inter like interlacing it with everything else. So when you're building characters, how you can link the themes of the campaign into the characters and how you can link the characters into the themes of the campaign. And then lastly, I, I end up with just my plan, how I'm actually going to do it. Um, and I, uh, I guess I'll, I'll release uh, an article in the coming months after I have started that campaign and, and let you know how it all goes. I can't it could wait. completely go off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, as, uh, as campaigns tend to do. Right. And yeah, uh, they, they very well could. No, one of the things you mentioned too, um, was the themes in there. And of course you have a blog post that was about the themes, right. And tying them to the different chaos <laughs> gods. So I'm curious mm. when you built this one, which chaos God did you tie your theme into? <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the sliders, hmm, that's, that's a good question. So the sliders that I would say... I was going to say, um, you, you might want to not run a v reveal too much in case your players would listen to this. Right, right that's they, fair, they right? To figure uh, out too much, I see, but... I, I tend to trust my players quite a lot in terms of the meta sense of things. I, I actually like surfacing a lot of the meta information to them because I find that it helps them um, play to the strength of the campaign. If Like, if I straight up say, you know, this is going to be a, a low combat game, um, high intrigue, they will stop looking for combat, which sure. means that like you know they will steer into the intrigue. But it also means that when I do drop a combat on them, it's it's way more impactful and they feel um, caught out. And and I find that that drama like really really plays up well. I like um, it. Yeah, that's great. That's I, a great. I'm scribbling great notes madly yeah. here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the sliders, I would say that. Um, the Rough Nights and Hard Days is definitely, it's definitely predominantly a Slanesh game. Um, and not to, uh, not to give spoilers on the campaign itself, but um, the themes of Slanesh, the sort of the hidden desires and um, not really being able to trust everyone and doing things for your own gain as opposed to, you know, a, a wider societal gain. Um, that's very much at the forefront. Zench is next. Um, Nurgle is way at the back for this one. Um, there's basically no Nurgle going on in that sort of thematic sense. And um, Korn definitely has an undercurrent running through, but 
the combat sort of side of things is secondary. It's, in my opinion, the best well, for, uh, adventures are ones where combat is the, um, the last resort. It's something that happens when you can't talk it out anymore. And, you know, that, that should mean kind of in that Chekhov's gun sense that you do come to combat naturally because you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. No one's going to budge, so you have to fight it out. Yeah, my poor players. I've, I've forced combat on you a lot lately. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so one of the things uh, I'm going to call an audible here, too. Uh, I don't have this in the notes, but uh, because you mentioned the Rat Catchers Guild and, of course, um, mm-hmm. Charlotte. Um, she's actually uh, one of the people that runs that. She's actually going to be doing Night of Blood on Encounter RPG, Encounter Roleplay, next week, I think. I have to go double check. I don't have that in the, the show notes here. Um, but definitely Google that. That should be a lot of fun. I know Cubicle 7 has been retweeting that as well. So if you're not sure, yeah, yeah go check that out. But you can find uh, this information and more at cubicle7games.com. All right, moving on to other news. In convention news, Gen Con is all wrapped up at this point. Uh, And like we said before, if you want the full information from Gen Con, definitely go back and listen to our bonus episode that was just posted a few days ago. But to give you a quick recap, the Ennies, which are the annual role-playing game awards. Congratulations, Cubicle 7. Yeah, Cubicle (laughs) 7, the folks over there, won the Ennie, the gold medal for best writing in role-playing game. Absolutely Mm well-deserved, no doubt about it. Yeah, we're Congrats. we're really happy about that. <laughs> yeah, I uh, Andy, just the the look on his face, like every time he got to pull that out of yeah, his, it's interesting. his pants pocket. He, he wasn't wearing the medal, but he kept pulling it out of his pocket. Yeah, he's like, well, I don't want to wear it because you know I don't want to like flaunt it so much. But every time you bring it up, it's like, boom, oh, it's look out at of this. Pocket. So, oh, look what I found in my pocket. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like Andy. <laughs> So in addition, there was also a really interesting seminar that we sat in that Graham Davis led where he kind of walked through his, his his plan and his process for how he'll write an adventure, especially one that is in a in a specific or that follows a specific timeline, kind of in line with the Rough Night of the Three Feathers. That was really interesting. There was also a news seminar where Cubicle Seven went through all of the news for all the products they have coming out, not just Warhammer, but of course we were most interested in the Warhammer products. So uh, go take a listen to our Gen Con bonus episode to get all the details on that. And then coming up, it is only, as of this recording, it is 22 days from today, is the next is con we'll be at, which is Grand Con. I know, it comes up quick. Jeez, okay. I've, got a, I've got a countdown clock in our uh, game room. It's right behind where Lance is sitting right now. <laughs> Tw- 22 days to go. And I remember setting that up, and it was like 145 days or right. something. And right. here we are, we're this close. So as you all know very well, I will be at Grand Con the entire weekend. Lance, you and Steve will be Saturday, uh, just on Saturday. Yep, we'll be there Saturday. Very excited about it. A lot it's of be fun. Uh, yep, a lot of interesting people going to be there. A lot of role playing games being ran and board games. So if you're in the area, definitely check it out. Website for that is grand-con.com. All right, so let's get on to the main topic tonight: the meat of the show. On tonight's show, we're going to talk about 
taking an idea from a simple hooker seed and growing it into a full adventure. Now, Ben, this is very specific. We got Ben on the show to talk about this because he wrote a couple of excellent articles, um, which were known as the buy hook or buy crook articles, um, which are available on cubicle sevens website. Now they recently put up a like post that had all of their articles on one place, which I was like, thank you. Thank you. Um, but, but if you're thinking, if you're listening to this after a while and it's hard to dig around those, uh, we did get some links there. So you can just go to oldworldpodcast.com forward slash hook one, like the number one or hook two, like the number two, those will take you to those articles directly on cubicle sevens website. But, uh, these were excellent articles that we are just super excited to, to get Ben to talk about because we wanted a little more because there's so many story hooks and, and of course the, the adventure afoot in the Reichland, which uh, Ben, you were the primary writer for this, uh, is my understanding. Yes, yes. Um, the the entire thing, and now I think this one is a this one's a free PDF that you can get by going to Drive Through RPG, and it's for fourth edition, and it goes through all of the the uh, different locations mentioned in the core rulebook of the Reichland, and gives you story hooks for each one. Genius! It's it's so good, um, and then. The Guide to Uber's Reich is the other one that immediately comes to mind that has a ton, ton. It was like 70-something, I think Andy was saying, yeah. like of uh, story hooks in that one as well. Yeah. So like every place mentioned has at least two. Yeah. The Guide um, to Uber's Reich being found in the starter set. Right. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Right. Anyway, we're excited. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get to to know Ben a little bit more as well. So, uh, so Old Worlders. Join us as we uh, get in the mind of the man who has written everything evil so that we can take your evil seeds and grow them into evil adventure trees in this episode of the Old World Podcast. All right, Ben, we already got to hear a little bit about your your history in in, uh, gaming, but could you go a little bit more into your history with Woofrup and the Warhammer world in general? Sure. So I started, uh, started playing Warhammer very, very young. Uh, I was four years old when I was first introduced to it um, through my eldest brother's uh, best friend who collected 40K. Uh, he collected, actually, he collected both, come to think of it. Uh, but he was a massive Blood Angels fan and ah. had a huge Blood Angels army. Um, and I remember seeing his his beautiful display case filled with, you know, rank upon rank of... Um, massively armored red like scarlet troops and just being blown away by it uh so he sort of inured me to the the whole world and and uh told me everything there was to know that you know a four-year-old could absorb about warhammer 40k (laughs) and uh through that i started collecting white wolf magazines and then i saw that there was warhammer fantasy and that sort of captured my attention a lot more um I still love 40K and I still play 40K, but fantasy was what really sold it for me. So I started collecting Dark Elves um, when I was about six or seven, and that progressed through for for many years. I became more interested in in making terrain than in painting armies, actually. Um, So so there was a long time where I was just making terrain. Um, But then by... uh, by early high school, I was like heavily into role-playing games at that point in time. And um, 
my me and my friends had just finished playing a really big campaign of this like tiny um indie rpg called fear and we decided to do something new and everyone in the group was also a warhammer player and i vaguely like you know i i remembered from from my past that there was a uh, a warhammer fantasy roleplay first edition uh which i had never played but i i was aware of um so i suggested you know why don't we play that so i i started researching that and i discovered that that same year a second edition had been released so you know why not play the new one so we picked up the books uh we sat down to play and i've been playing wolfrop uh almost every single week since 2007 <laughs> wow oh wow it's amazing yeah <laughs> not not the same group uh many many different groups in that but i i got hooked um i got hooked really really badly <laughs> <laughs> lucky for us i guess right <laughs> yeah, yeah that's awesome dark elves man so so man that's hopefully yeah hopefully you're gonna <laughs> write that supplement <laughs> Wink, oh, wink. I'm, I'm excited to write some dark elf stuff that's for sure if if i ever get the chance to to write some dark elf things that's that's going to be four-year-old ben's uh dream come true <laughs> you know i have a four-year-old daughter see now i'm just thinking and i feel like if i started talking about you know these uh vargulfs and squids like running around <laughs> disemboweling <laughs> things that should get all over it <laughs> I, I mean honestly the thing that drew me in the most was seeing really beautifully painted mini. So um, if you do want to, to get her keen into it, there we go. I don't know. Show her a, like show her a book of um, like the, the Citadel um, painters yeah. guide or something like that. Right. And, yeah. And see what she, she uh, flags on the new uh, wood elves. Actually, if, if I was going to get into anything, Age of Sigma, it would be the the new Wood Elves that have just been released. They are beautiful. Yeah, they look great. Oh, he brought up Age of Sigma, Steve. Oh man! Uh, oh no! I wish I <laughs> was had that a football. <laughs> no, no, Age of Sigma is cool. It's just uh, we we still Steve and I had gigantic armies in the in the old world, and mm. uh, we were sad that it was destroyed. But it's cool. TS is starting to turn turn me i think slowly okay this uh, next question is another two-part question ben uh it's regarding your artistic process uh what does your writing process usually entail and does working on fourth edition for cubicle seven affect this at all right so uh, my writing process is pretty chaotic actually um it it it's sort of it it all comes down to i need to uh, read something or listen to something or watch something or just see something that um, I find generally I find funny or confusing. So uh, for, as an example, um, one of the, the first things that I ever wrote for Warfare was a uh, like a long almanac about barber surgeons. And um, this, this was never released. This was like a, a fan thing back in, 2008 or something like that. Um, it was this long almanac about uh, barber surgeons and uh, talking about how it's ridiculous that people who um, just cut hair progress on to, to also, you know, pulling teeth and, and things like this. 
Um, and it was, um, it ended up turning into a, um, uh, a thesis being written by like a fictional student at the university of Altdorf. And uh, oh, I don't know awesome. why I wrote it. Um, but I got inspired by just being at the hairdressers and talking to them and thinking what it would be like to, you know, be in the exact same situation, but getting my teeth pulled and one of my arms sawed off. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, it's strange inroads. Um, but I find that, when I'm when I'm writing for me or when I'm writing for something that um something that I am planning from the ground up uh with C seven, um I I will like tag it onto something that I know or something that has inspired me. Um music is a really big one for me. I, I listen to a lot of music and I often see stories in them that sort of can come out in, in um, strange ways. And then I funnel them into uh, to adventures or into places in, uh, in cities. Um, some of the stuff coming up in, um, in Altdorf, uh, when, when that, that eventually uh, gets dropped as part of the, the enemy within um, some of them, like some of the characters in that are just people from my childhood who I remember being like absolutely bemused by who were just ridiculous people. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, it, that, that fits into the Warhammer world really well. Um, the other side of things though, is uh, when I'm developing someone else's work, which is the exact opposite side of the coin. So when I do my own stuff, it's, or, or, you know, um, my own stuff from the ground up for C7, it's, it's very chaotic. But when I am developing someone else's writing, I tend to become very analytical with it. I, I will read through it. I will take notes, um, copious notes, and then I will link back and constantly sort of revise what uh, has already been written and then revise what I've written and see if there are any links there. Um, that was definitely how I went through um, Rough Nights and Hard Days and how I um, I developed that writing a bit more um and that's a really fun process i actually kind of prefer that because it gives me this sort of neat lattice to work around so how do the, how does that normally work like right so i would imagine you work with andy pretty closely on a lot of stuff yes and so yeah. is it does andy like hey i need you to write this and he just sends you off or do you guys like talk about it for a while or do you bring him something and it's like a back and forth revision like how, how does that normally work it really depends um some of the things that we've some of the things that we've done have been a situation of like Andy will Andy will sit me down. We have a weekly meeting, but it, it often becomes um, daily or every two days that we'll we'll catch up in some way. Um, but Andy will sometimes sit me down and say, you know, we need this exact thing, um, or we need something that does this. So so go away and and write something. Uh, often it will be Andy passes me something that um, has been written. Uh, by someone else and will say like, you know, this is 99% done. I need just that 1% um, of it being massaged into place. Um, and that will be a, a situation of going through and just making sure everything feels Warhammer. Um, one of the, the most important things is to make sure that 
Warhammer feels uh, cohesive and that it feels like you could take any individual piece from the book and say that's Warhammer instead of that's just a fantasy role playing game. Ah, okay. So, so that's that's a lot of my uh, my role. Um, every now and then, I will just write something and I will send it to Andy, and uh, we will then discuss it um, and see sort of if it if it fits in anywhere. Um, my blogs now often I will just write them and then send them to Andy and. Um, and Andy will give his notes and, and we will send it back and forth. But it's very collaborative, especially now that I am an assistant producer. I have been given a bit more free reign on um, the creative direction of a lot of the things that I'm writing and things that I'm commissioning from, from freelancers as well. Awesome. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite collaborative. And um, Andy is a really good... Um, creative director and uh and producer to work for because he recognizes the passion in other people and he recognizes that that passion creates the best work and um specifically in a setting like Woofra uh and, and Warhammer in general it is a setting created by um passion and a setting created by satire and sort of very silly themes so it, it's it really like behooves andy to to let people just run wild and do whatever they want kind of thing and then to rein it in once it's written awesome that's cool so in as part of this process too are you're doing you're handling both the lore and mechanics i'm assuming like any new mechanics and things like that yeah okay yeah all right, so um, I uh, the one thing I want to know: what do you in- enjoy writing more, like adventures or more source book stuff? What what do you, what is your jam? Hmm, good question. <laughs> um, it, it's very contextual. Um, a source book that I um, hmm, that's a really that's a really tough question. I would say in general, adventures. Adventures are um more fun for me because I get to really play with um, play with you know what's going to happen and what's going to be said um, whereas source books it's a bit harder to inject a theme into it and to inject sort of like that narrative cohesion mm. yeah, I imagine but, that your your creativity you can really flex your creative muscle doing adventure books whereas source books you probably have to be a little bit more rigid as far as what you can do or what you're allowed to do in some cases yeah there's there's definitely more of a template um when it comes to to source books because you're trying to you know teach people information in a logical way as well as trying to um cover lots of bases so you've got to uh you've got to really plan it out so source books tend to be a bit more analytical um which if i'm writing from the ground up goes a bit against um my natural style which um doesn't necessarily mean I don't like it, but it just means that I have to be more switched on. So it's like inherently less sort of fun in games, if that makes sense. Right. Um, whereas so, adventures, I, I can just run wild and do lots of silly things. Um, especially developing adventures is a lot of fun because um, one of my favorite things to do when developing a, an adventure is um, – to link in NPCs at the beginning 
all the way through to the end. Um, and I find a lot of adventure writers, um, they they build these beautiful adventure like these beautiful NPCs, and then because they're so wrapped up in um, in the story that's unfolding, they will get to the end of it and they will have forgotten an NPC or or left an NPC by the side of the road. Uh, I do this too. Right. Um, Me too. Every every writer does right, but then the developer gets to go in afterwards and read it and say, "Oh, you know that that beautiful NPC in Act One is perfectly placed in Act Three. We just have to like nudge it into place." Um, so I really love working with developers on my own adventures because I find they pull things out that I wish I had have written. And by the same token, I love uh, developing other people's adventures because, you know, just that that other set of eyes really helps them shine. Awesome. So what's been your favorite one that you've done so far? I mean, I'm assuming it's Hasselhoff, but... <laughs> Uh, I think, I think the, you mean the hassle of Johann Hoffman. Oh, yeah, the, the hassle of Johann Hoffman. Uh, I know that's Matt, that's Matt's favorite oh, adventure. Yeah, yeah, that, that was um, that was a, a joke. Honestly, uh, I, I cannot believe that 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 went through. Um, I'm so glad it did because I I loved writing that piece. Um, those those splats actually in um in the adventure book inside the starter set, that was one of the first things I wrote as a staff writer, uh, for, for fourth edition. And I don't, I don't know if that's my favorite thing that I've done, but it was definitely, um, it was definitely the first time that I got to like properly flex, um, in, uh, in the Warhammer space. And it was really, really exciting to have that constraint, um, of, you know, like it all has to be in, Uber's Reich, and it all has to be uh, in under two pages. Um, and that's such an intriguing um, limitation because, you know, an adventure tends to sprawl. So if right. you've got all of these sort of sandbox pieces uh, that are, are supposed to be so short, it really makes you think about, like, what's going to happen? How do I make sure that comes through in this tiny amount of words? What's something that I can do that's, um, that's new and interesting. So the hassle of Johann Hoffman was, was a big one because the, the format of it's just really weird. I mean, it doesn't have a conclusion. It's purposefully left vague, which is a strange thing to do for an adventure. I also really loved red moon burning. That was that was oh, super yeah. exciting to to get to um, use Fat Shark's character and um, and I, I like will freely admit that whilst I was writing that every time I would do a reread of my words I would use Franz Lohner's voice uh, which I had been <laughs> practicing from playing Vermintide so I would say the whole thing out in Franz Lohner's voice and. That helped. <laughs> that, that helped a lot, honestly. That's awesome. But my favorite thing that I've written, hmm, it's really tough. Um, I, I, it's it's not out yet. Um, but we we have announced it, so, uh, you know, I, I can talk about it. The um the game master's guide is actually quite high up on the list. I think that's that's probably going to be my favorite thing once it's released um 
I did a lot of the writing in that and I I really hope that it it helps folks run the kinds of games that they want to um, and that it it doesn't just serve as sort of a generic guide for role-playing games it really uh, works as a guide for running Warhammer so that's that's my plan and I think I think we've done a good job with it um, but you know it, it'll we'll find out when when players get their hands on it but I'm really excited about it and I do think that it's going to be a great piece now, I know I speak for Lance, but I, I probably speak for the entire Warhammer community when I say I am very excited for that. We are all very excited to get our hands yeah, on Yeah, awesome. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to yeah. hear it. I, In fact, you can ask Andy. One of the first questions I asked him when at Gen Con, I was like, so do you have a copy of the GM screen, like a prototype copy back there or something? Like, I need it. Mm. So, and when When he said no, you like physically tried to push past him we had to yeah. restrain you Lance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it took two of us to, to yeah. stop him but uh... <laughs> no it was so that's the thing so uh with uh, so cubicle seven has done the gm screens and they keep raising the bar like with the starter set was amazing and so like i have the the one ring and that has like a little the lake uh men of the lake guide kind of with it lake town mm. and and that's cool so when I saw like everything that's coming with this this GM screen, it's, I mean, it's amazing. So there's just so much. So anyway, yeah. um, I, we're really excited to read to read your work. So yeah, absolutely, gonna be good. I'm glad. Thank you. That that means a lot. It honestly does. So when we talk about developing adventure hooks, there's a lot of articles that you've written that are are tie in directly to developing it from a simple hook into a full-fledged adventure. Mm. So for our listeners, uh, we're going to go through some of these real quick so you know which ones, well, they're, they're all good and definitely worth reading, but which right. ones are going to be most important tying into what we are talking about today. So the first two we've already mentioned are By Hook or By Crook, parts one and two. Some other articles that support adventure building are Setting Expectations, which helps define what uh, using chaos gods to help drive your theme. Lance, you already referenced that earlier yeah, yeah. when you talked about which right. gods and that it's a, can... It's a great article. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great article. It helps set the theme by tying in your adventure or the a portion of the adventure with a specific chaos god that helps drive the, the, uh, the nefarious things that are kind of happening or the motivations that are happening uh, with the NPCs and, and whatnot. Another great article... Uh, creature for every occasion. This is how you get the most out of you, the creatures in the core rulebook by creating your own. If you like the stat block of a specific creature and you want to use that stat block for a different creature that you've created or kind of like a, some abomination of multiple, you can tie those together uh, and that article will help you get there. There's a cast of D1000s, which is getting the most out of the NPCs in the core book and creating your own. A lot of helpful tips in there on how to do that. And then the one that was just posted, rough and almost ready, which is how to take a published set of adventures and use those to help build a campaign. And most of these actually are linked from the hook by crook because they're referenced. Like, okay, now you need NPCs. Here's the here's how you go build them, right? And it's yep. it's nice. So again, if, if you're mm-hmm. listening to this shortly after we've recorded it, there is uh, Cubicle Seven did put up a um, catch up article which essentially is a brief description of each article that's been written up to this point with links on how to get to those so that's right. a helpful way to uh, go through and read all of these which we suggest that you do 
Right. And Ben's done a whole bunch of other ones. I'm not going to read every single one. There's like a half dozen or more here, but um, like in defense of defense, probably my most favorite one ever. I was so excited. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of ones we've kind of already mentioned. Yeah, um, maybe not as important when it when right it comes for adventure to building adventure and stuff. But there's a lot of good ones up there. And then of course the FAQ as a GM, you should check that out. And then the uh, just check yep. out. And uh, so, Ben, I really appreciate it. you're hitting a lot of subjects that we as players have. You know, the questions like the main questions. You know, with like shields, you know, uh, astounding success, and just so on and so forth. So really appreciate that. Yeah. The, uh, awesome. the, the, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. That's that's um, that was the plan. So I'm I'm glad that it's uh, it's coming off. Yeah, I know the article about money was one when we first read the uh, the in between chapter in the core rulebook. We kind of were taken mm-hmm. aback by the idea that you that your wealth was just lost, you know, at the end of a uh, in between session without doing something to to keep it. And we we didn't really, I guess, love that rule at first until we thought more about it. And then especially reading your article, it helped us realize that there was a reason for that. Um, so for all of our listeners, we've, we've said it a thousand times, but do yourself a favor, read these articles. They're definitely going to help you in your games, whether you're a GM or a player. Huge. Absolutely. Uh, growing an evil tree from an innocent seed. Um, <laughs> again, a great article on this uh, uh, Wolfro blog post uh, by hook, by hook or by crook, uh, part one. Um, you know, we'll be going through the steps. You know that uh, Ben outlined, which it, which it's a great read. Uh, if you're a GM, I would just just read it. You'll get the gist of what you know. Make your life easy. This gives you the step by step on on helping you create wonderful campaigns and situations. Uh, and, and, and he lays it out step by step and, you know, step one, uh, the starting si- situation. Uh, what you want to do is uh, review the hook and answer some basic questions. Uh, them being, uh, where does the adventure set? Uh, what is the central conflict? Um, who is involved? And what is the truth of the situation? And I, I like that one part because, you know, it, it's you kind of got to define on you as a GM know what the situation should be and like the truth that your players don't know yet, but that's subject to change as you go through these steps. And, uh, uh, and basically, uh, make sure you have a notebook. Um, you know, when you create your hook, uh, what words in the hook stand out? Uh, what characters are listed? Um, what do you imagine as you read the hook? And, uh, uh, and this was interesting. Discard your first idea because it's obvious. I love that because, when I read your first initial hook on it, I'm like, yeah, that's obvious. And then when I read further down, I'm like, he just threw in some wrenches into the gears and it just, <laughs> it was awesome. Like, that'd be so interesting. Uh, what are your, your, what is your take on this? I should say, Ben. So, um, so sort of the background behind this blog post was that, um, uh, I, I wrote adventure afoot, uh, as my first, for for Q7 um, and it was sort of the the one that Andy wanted to uh, to test me out on so I wrote a lot of very weird uh, like very weird very um, conflicting uh, quest hooks in it uh, adventure hooks pardon 
because I didn't know that I was going to get uh, any more writing work uh, with C7. So I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put everything into this. This might be the only edition I ever get to do to Wolfram. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to really go all out. So I wrote a bunch of them um, and it got published and Andy really liked it and, and brought me on as a staff writer. So obviously it wasn't the last thing that I got to, to write for it, but then I started seeing uh, how people were, were using fourth edition and uh, how they were building adventures for it. And um, I, I really, I was really inspired by a lot of the adventures being released on the, the Facebook group. And I thought, you know, it would be great to see more of these. So why don't we give people a head start by sort of pointing them back to Adventure Afoot and showing them how to really expand it. So, um, so step one was, step one is sort of a review of, of what's going on. So you, you read through the hook and, um, so if an adventure hook is supposed to be the thing that, that pulls a player into, um, into an adventure, it's the thing that gets them excited for it. It should do that for the GM as well. Right. Right. Um, so when you're reading through adventure afoot, if you read down um, read down the list of all of the adventure hooks and you read over something that really catches your attention, then that's the one you should run, right? So that's that's the hook that has hooked you in. And then you start asking these questions about it. Um, and specifically, like, what's at the, the two that you pointed out, Steve, um, what's the truth of the situation and discard your first idea? Those two points are really the crux of step one. Because the hook, you know, it, it will present an interesting situation for you. But the truth in Wolfrub should never be what it says on paper. Uh, if it says that, you know, if, if anything ever says the Skaven are the problem, then the Skaven aren't actually the problem, right? Go. If right. they say mutants and beastmen that look like rats are the problem, then, then the Skaven are the problem. But if anyone actually thinks that Skaven are behind an issue, they're not. Because that's that's how Wolfrop works, right? Like, no one actually knows what's going on. So the GM needs to. So the GM needs to write the truth of the situation. Um, and then discard your, your first idea comes down to um, when you read through it, what do you initially get um, inspired by? Great. Throw that out and, and develop it, you know, get, go go one step further um so yeah step one's really important um but realistically once you get to step two a lot of what you decide in step one may become invalid but that's fine that's sort of the the writing process and step one's really just there to get you inspired by a hook and then to get you to stop thinking obviously yeah, so that's awesome. So, like, my favorite is the sound of music, which is, uh, I think it's a, it's the last hook in the uh, Adventures of Foot with those singing stones. And I was I was glad because I when yeah. when I saw Andy Law's map, that was one of the things I pointed out, or and then you know read about later. It's like, oh, the singing stones—they're right there, man. What does that mean? You know, and and kind of read about it. And then your adventure hook was just like, oh man, that sounds awesome. So that's like yeah. one of the first things I thought of. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. I um 
my my favorite part of of Warfrip has always been the maps, and yes. my favorite part of the maps has always been the little named places that like don't actually make any sense, like the singing stones. Like you know, we need more information. What's the singing stone? Right. But that's such an evocative, um, inspiring name that I'm. I really hope more people do uh, latch onto those little details that are scattered around and then um, use this method to to go off in directions that, you know, no one at Cubicle 7 would have ever thought of, right? That's that's sort of, that's what we want with the adventure hooks uh, for you all to, to develop stories that we can't think of because we're not you. Gosh, so poetic. Yeah. Well, and you as a GM, <laughs> you're going to know what's going to play well to your players too, right? You know, the kind of things exactly. they enjoy they're what exactly what they get most out of in their adventures and, and play to that, you know, give them things that, you know, they're going to enjoy, which, uh, is, is going to mean adapting adventure hooks, uh, to fit exactly what you want or, or even, um, already, you know, published adventures. So yeah, exactly. Moving on to step two, after getting the starting situation set and, uh, slightly developed, is defining your cast of characters. So you're going to want to list out all of the major NPCs that you're going to need for the adventure. This is something that I struggled with when I first started GMing, that I I either didn't plan ahead well enough or I thought I could do it on the fly. I still struggle with this, actually. <laughs> yeah. Both of those are a bad idea. Get it, <laughs> Set it all out ahead of time, and that'll that'll help the adventure run smoothly for sure. So create your NPC, all of your NPC stat blocks. And then, so each NPC is going to need a few things. A name, a motivation, an ambition, a method, a quirk, and stats. So I, the, the one spot on this that really stands out to me is the quirk, right? Mm-hmm. That you could roll a hundred, roll up a hundred different human merchants and Really, at the end of the day, if you're just rolling them, they're all going to end up being mostly the same until you you add that quirk in, right? Like they mm. they have uh, uh, two eye patches, or they are missing, you know, <laughs> like one arm, or the like or the one arm that's on the the you know just something peculiar that is going to you maybe they have a stutter or anything that'll help them stand out from the pack, and that's going to help develop a character from being just just one that you could roll like anybody could roll and make it your own. So you said so yeah. you, you said that we all laughed and I immediately came up with like a whole background story just in my head like yeah, I well, want to introduce this in our next game. Yeah. Well, just from you saying that. It helps your players too, right? Because if you don't if you don't give them that that reason why the guy has two eye patches, they're going to want to ask. You know, and that that Exactly. That, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, encourages and, uh, like, role play, and, and... like Ben, like you were saying before, you know, it's uh, with NPCs. Uh, when you create them, they could be left behind. You know, players might even forget about them. Uh, you give them a little quirk, and all of a sudden they remember it, and not only yes. remember it, but they remember it through the whole, you know, the whole campaign. And yeah, as nice. as a GM, you know, you've developed a really good NPC if your players say, "Hey, whatever happened to?" Right. That merchant, or if they come yes. back to the town that they right. were at before, they're like, "Hey, let's go see that guy." You know, let's go see Eye Patching McPatch and see what's going on with him. And that, you know, <laughs> and that's his name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, some of the the best situations I've had in 
my uh, longer form Wolfrop campaigns were ones where the players would call on NPCs that I forgot I had introduced them to. Um, and, you know, th- these were NPCs that they met, you know, a year in real time ago or sometimes like two years ago. But they called on that person because they remembered, oh, you know, Captain Kubert Turing as a ship and is not afraid to um, to do some illegal things. So we should get him to, to be the one to smuggle these people out of the city or, um, or like little things like that. And then, you know, they, they may remember to bring his favorite drink uh, to, to sweeten the deal. And, and as a nice. GM, you're sitting back there going like, I don't remember that that was his favorite drink, but apparently they do. So I'll quickly make a note <laughs> of that, you know, well done players. <laughs> um, Nice. And and that's that's a really rewarding feeling as well to uh, to have your players like really invest in your NPCs just because of a small little quirk you threw in that you know he's always drinking kumis or something like that. And even Lance, you know, with you, you know, kudos to you. Like I'm going to remember Hag for years, maybe maybe forever. <laughs> oh Hag, I'll remember oh, the way Hag died. <laughs> that's for oh, yeah. Geez. That was a tight squeeze. Yeah, so in in our last actual play, Ben, um, Hag got kicked through bars that were too small for him to squeeze through by Vargolf. It was Ooh. it was rough. <laughs> Ooh. Hag the halfling. I'm, I'm just imagining um, bifurcated through uh, some prison bars. I'm, I'm imagining Alien uh, Alien Four when the the hybrid gets sucked out of the spaceship oh, through like oh, a, little, yeah. oh, a little wound in the wall. Like, damn, that's. That's yeah. grisly. That's that's grim and perilous adventure, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> I almost thought of in uh, Term- in Terminator Two when the T one thousand walks through the prison bars. Oh yeah. <laughs> Although it way more messy and right. way messier. And yeah. Hag was not clean when he came out the other right. side. Well, and to be fair, to make it even more grim and perilous, and to show that my players truly are players, they then set him on his body on fire before they left. <laughs> so. Oh, of course. You have course. to. Oh, so, all right. So, all right, you, you review the hook, you, you get the starting situation all down, you define your cast of characters, get those figured out. And also don't forget Ben's blog post on figuring out those NPCs if you need some help with that. And then the next part is to set the scene. So this is where, now this is where I, as a GM, I struggle because this is like the part that I always want want to do first, and then I end up regretting it but setting the scene. So figure out what scenes you want. And and I want to point this out, especially for Warhammer. Notice it's not set up your encounters. It's set up your scenes. Um, so, uh, you know, based, so based on the number of scenes, how many sessions you expect to have, right? So figure out how many scenes you think you need to do this story. Um, and then there are, you know, Ben gives us a list of things to, to do for each scene, like introduce or reintroduce the conflict. Uh, review more of the truth, which I'm I'm interested to hear more about that, and then demand follow up action from the characters. So this is uh, so when I do this, and and uh, when I do scenes, I am a, a visual person, and as we talked about before, I I love maps too, um, and I think I even talked about this in campaign deconstruction. I actually will, like when when our players were going down the mountain, I literally had drawn a mountain like, you know, a side view of a mountain and I was writing mm. like, you know, encounter with goblins here, 
um, bridge with Orc there, you know, and these are the different scenes that I expected for them to go through. So that's kind of how I lay it out. How do you normally do it, Ben? So I, I tend to do it. Um, I kind of bookend the adventure. I, I know where vaguely I want the, them to be, like what what the, the big climax is going to be, and I know where they're starting. So then I need to figure out like what the, the beats are to get uh, between that. Um, and then I craft at least one scene per beat. Um, I, I tend to think more in terms of, uh, like I, I, I think more in terms of stories than visually. So uh, mine, like my way of mapping out an adventure is very much on like a decision tree kind of system. But generally speaking, I find that you can predict where something's going to go without obviously without uh, railroading your players because that's not what you want uh, to happen but you can predict what's likely to occur if you've created your characters well enough um, because you should know what your players uh, and your player characters motivations and ambitions are so if you can create characters that conflict or agree with them uh, in interesting ways you can very accurately in, in uh, my experience predict where it's going to go and then you just sort of build around that you don't build too tightly to that because you know you want your players to to experiment and to go off into to interesting uh directions but if you create loose scenes you should be able to plug them in anywhere yeah that's that's a see, that's a good idea i one of the things that i struggle with is um, I have an idea of scenes and then there are some scenes that my players will essentially blow past. Um, and then there are others that they'll spend way more time in. Um, and mm. so one of the things that, um, so the thing, so one of the things you actually talk about in the article is trying to determine how many sessions you expect to have, um, you know, mm. and then how, how those scenes can end on a cliffhanger. And, uh, and and for me, that's figuring that out is is a big struggle because I just um, and maybe it's I need to get to know my players better, but uh, essentially, um, I don't know figuring out that cliffhanger because I don't know sometimes I feel like you know all right I got three scenes here this should be the session and we end up spending you know all almost the entire session in one scene almost so like yeah. how, how do you how do you figure all that out? So I am, I'm just like you in that. Uh, I'm really bad at predicting how long um, individual scenes are going to go and really, really bad at predicting how long an adventure is going to go. Uh, I feel I've never better. been good at it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've never been good at it. So, so don't, don't feel um, uh, that there's anything wrong there, even though I've been playing with the same group of people for the last, gosh, eight years now. And uh, I, I know them very, very well, and I know the the things that they like and the things that they don't like, and sort of their their trigger points in um, in RPGs and how to get them to do things. Uh, but I still have no idea how long anything take. So <laughs> what I tend to do is every scene I build in. Um, if I if I use that same um, sort of three point structure, which is introduce slash reinforce the conflict reveal more of the truth and demand follow-up action 
characters, if I use that in every scene, it should create a cliffhanger moment somewhere. I also make note to sort of like list down things that could cause cliffhangers. Uh, so, you know, even even at a, a really innocuous moment, if, you know, the, the party is shopping in the market or something like that. And I know in the adventure, uh, at some point in time, they need to get ambushed by bandits. Um, and I've written down in the adventure that it happens in the alleyway, you know, like four, four uh, scenes from now. Right. But I, I know it's got to happen. And there's no necessary reason for it to not happen now. Like that there's, there's nothing that needs to be set up. Um, I can end that session by having the bandits become frustrated that the characters are milling about the market for so long and then they burst in. And that sort of, that gives both a meta um, clue to the players that they're spending too long in any given uh, space. <laughs> as well as um, give like a naturally evolving thing to happen. They've been futzing around for, you know, hours um, and that's fine. They're having fun in the market, but they're futzing around, but the world still exists. Right. So there we go. The bandits like burst that. in and um, they cause a ruckus and, you know, because it's bandits fighting out in the, the open in a marketplace, that can be the cliffhanger. It can be a big boom moment. Maybe a gunshot goes off and, and everyone drops to the ground, the beginning of next session, we've got a really quick in. We can have, you know, one or two rounds of combat. The bandits probably flee so that they can then ambush them later in the alleyway if they still want to, or maybe that's no longer relevant. But now I've got a week or however long between my sessions to readjust my plan. Mm. And also, you know, it just it starts us off with a bang. Um, quite literally, there was a gunshot, <laughs> uh, and that's a really nice, solid, cold, open moment we all sit down at the table and I say, bang, a gun goes off. What do you do, right? Um, cliffhangers are really important, and I try and end every session. So I, I can tell you uh, one of the if, – if you really want to get good at making sure you're thinking about how can I end this as a cliffhanger, where's the perfect place to, like, cliffhang – record a podcast of for actual play because that is constantly going through my mind i i can tell you that it's really forced me to look like okay because uh on our episodes when we do that we're like end of episode you know and so that's kind of our dramatic you know end part and uh yeah so i i'm uh i've actually i've learned that lesson by doing a podcast yeah awesome I should if, uh, I should run more podcasts. Right, you should. <laughs> and of course, that merges with step four. You know, plan for the unexpected. And I gotta say, when we were starting with second edition, um, you know, as a group, you know, Matt, Jessica, and I, we veered off the story path so much. You know, we may have had to just rescue a guy, but we just didn't rescue him. We we took him. We got a boat from a guy. We went Stole down the a boat. river. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Uh, we had to verify who he was through his wife. Uh, we, you know, this we went so far off, so, you know, just a learning curve. <laughs> uh, but uh, planning for the unexpected, you know, a.k.a., you know, the what-ifs, um, create a list, you know, of a few backup plans. Um, that way, you know, if they go off track, you can kind of uh, 
uh, re-rail them onto the track um, during the adventure and uh, pretty much create a plan for each of those cases so you have an idea about what you might expect, that way you can respond uh, with both the mechanics and the storyline to keep them back on, on, on track. See, it's hilarious yeah. that you mentioned that story, Steve, because uh, I actually, one of the what ifs I had was what if they kill this guy? Um, so this is, in, and Ben, you probably know this, um, this was an adaptation of the Pretty Things adventure from second edition. Right. And yep. and so uh, they decided to not trust the guy they saved and then take him all the way home to try to verify his story. And I was sort of prepared for that. Um, but I mean, still to this day, I think it's one of our, we're just, Matt and I are looking at each other with giant smiles on our face. It's one of our favorite role-playing moments. So, yeah. uh, but then Other things go off the rails. I know, but, but it's, it's also like, you know, let's say you, you make this Hugh, this great NPC, right. And he's mm-hmm. going to be the one who is, uh, helping, you know, guide the players through this whole, you know, multi-session adventure. Well, you could have players that are like, well, I don't like this guy. Let's, uh, let's kill him <laughs> or, you know, let's, let's <laughs> maim him or something. And you've, if you're not prepared for that scenario, well, a you, your players might be jerks, but you also need to know you my whole story. How to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How to how to adapt. But see, this is almost GMing. Like I don't want to call it GMing 101 because I feel like it's the first lesson you learn, and the lesson is is that you'll never be completely yeah. prepared for what your players do, and. Yes. Um, and and that's why I like I read that part plan for the unexpected like I, when I read that I was I I laughed out loud I'm like yeah right like, like I'll yeah. do all the planning in the world and my players are still gonna choose option Z that I did not plan for yeah yeah oh. the um the biggest point of uh, step four honestly for me is because you're you're looking at some of the edge case this point isn't to try and plan for everything that might go wrong because i mean you can't that's that's right that's not going to happen and also to my mind uh is sort of against the point of being a gm like i i come to the table to be surprised i want to be uh shocked by the funny things that my players do and um if i know everything that's going to happen before it happens i may as well just write a book right you know right there's there's no real point in playing for me at least so what what the point of step four is is more to get people thinking in terms of this isn't a railroad adventure because you know you've just gotten through writing out a series of linked scenes you may be tempted to to force the players into those scenes Mm. and for most experienced gms they they won't think that way. Uh, they will they will be trying to sort of see the edge cases naturally. But for new GMs, that can be a very um, comfortable position to be in. You 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 have your plan. You want to stick to it, um, and that makes sense, right? You know, like that's right. that's sort of how everything else in life goes. We we try and make plans uh, and we try and stick to them as best we can because that feels safe. But you know that's not what we're here for in role playing games. So in step four, I hope it encourages folks to to think of ways that their plan might break down and then to find the fun in that. Uh, because if you can start like looking at, oh, what if 
what if they bring in a wizard friend or what if one of them starts, you know, what if they just kill someone important? Then if you can look at that and find that funny or you can find that interesting and write a couple of notes, then it should kick you out of that mood of I have to plan for everything and into a, wow, it's quite fun to think of edge cases and then to see how they play out. Yeah, see, I think in, you kind of said this a little bit earlier, too, when you were talking about your, your bandits in the market, right? The, like, I, I tend to think of this as what is the world doing regardless of the players? So when the players yeah. do something, right, the world reacts. I don't have to react with the story. So, no, that's a really good. I, I really like that. Thinking of the edge cases as your as your entertainment as a GM, yeah. which yeah. Uh, which is exactly. And I definitely like that you brought up, you know, um, you know, if, if the story derails, you know, it can be fun because I know with our cam- campaign, some of the, you know, the, the unscripted moments are the moments that you remember for a long time. You oh, know, yeah. The laughs, the craziness, the, the unexpected, like, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm there for, honestly. That's me too. That's the all of the best stories from my campaigns have come out of things that I didn't expect to happen. Yeah. Um, and Agreed. actually, one of one of the most fun uh, sessions I've ever run um, was I uh, I was using a published fan adventure, um, and it was like a, a night at the opera kind of deal. Um, the the stage manager was um, had faked their own death so that they could run away with uh, the leading lady uh, who they were in love with, and um, they had to you know. Uh, they had to do all of these really secret, ridiculous, intricate details to make sure that their their plot worked, so that uh, the leading lady uh, who was married could could slip away with this um, stage director. So the the stage director fakes his death and then hides in a closet in the leading lady's uh, dressing room. So my players, you know, they they go for this night of the opera. They sit down. Um, the accident happens on stage. Um, the the death is fake, uh, and one of the players um, says, "You know, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go backstage, and I'm just gonna look um, through all of the back, like all of the uh, cast members' rooms, because I think that you know there's gonna be some evidence in there somewhere." So they go into the leading lady's room first because they're like, "Oh, the star of the show is probably gonna be important." So I stepped into the star of the show's room saw a closet and said, oh, I'll rummage through the closet. That's where I would keep something. Opened it up. The guy's just standing there. The adventure was foiled <laughs> in the first 20 minutes of play. And, and like, I, I cracked up. I could not stop laughing at the table. Um, and, and everyone was sat around being like, oh, okay, he faked his death. That's fine. And the story of the adventure turned into, okay, how do we get these two lovers to escape like how do we help them instead of go through this long-winded like investigation of this man's death to find out that he's not actually dead and that was such a beautiful adventure because the players really cared about it but they also felt really competent because they had solved the problem so quickly so it was this nice moment of like the players actually feeling good at their job in a weird way like not that they're supposed to be you're good at playing role-playing games right but 
they they really loved that and uh yeah and it was a very fun adventure in That's the end awesome. that is legit all right so so let's let's conclude this here uh, and do some uh, recaps and last thoughts here or whatever um i uh, i, I kind of wrote here um, i think ben said this best in his article uh, if you do steps one and two well steps three and four pretty much write themselves just imagine what the NPCs would do and what the players will probably do and plan around that. And uh, ultimately, I think this the whole process here, um, from for me, one of the things I think it did is it made me realize I'm jumping too quickly to plan my scenes. I need to lay some groundwork first. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that was one of the things that I'm taking away from this right away. But um, this article really... Uh, I mean, we're talking about it here for like an hour about, um, you know, this process, but it's really not that hard when, when you really think about it, like the breakdown of how it is. And I think that's, I think the beauty of it. So, yeah, I, I mean, I hope so. Um, step, step two, honestly, is the most important. If you only do one step, do step two. Um, and, and everything else will fall into place because the like adventures are just built around conflict and conflict stems from characters with conflicting motivations and ambitions and methods of, of um achieving them bumping into each other so yeah do step two and you'll be fine <laughs> awesome uh my final thought is uh you know i've never gm before but just reading it you know and also attending uh, uh the graham D- davis seminar at Gen Con, um, it kind of gave me a confidence that I could GM a game, um, you know, just through all the steps, you know, and, and I like that you mentioned step two, cause, cause when I'm playing, uh, the NPCs are so important. Um, you know, like me remembering Hag and, you know, just, just having those extra players really sets the world and the situations and, 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 and really, you know, to play off of those NPCs, you know, it's critical to how I play too you know, in the game. So, so great stuff. Well, and think about not only hag, but going all the way back to those second edition plays. Heinrich was the poor guy that we saved out of that hole. (laughs) Right. And took all the way back to his family. I still feel bad for him and he's not even real. Well, (laughs) the, uh, you know, that character had such an impression on us that we named your, your servant after him. Yeah. You know, that's, that, uh, that's a really goes to show that a a well-designed NPC uh, can can make a huge impact. I would say my yeah. overall thoughts on this is that when it comes to writing your own adventure, it can seem like a very daunting task and like one that you, if you wait until you're prepared to do it, you, you'll you never do it because you're right. never going to truly feel like, okay, well, I've GM'd enough to write this myself. Right. And I think, Ben, you've, you've outlined a great step-by-step process to just to do it, right? And And... Uh, to all of our listeners out there who GM and who are interested in running their own adventures, don't uh, don't be afraid. Just just go for it. Well, you know what's the worst that could happen. Follow Absolutely. these follow these steps. Read the articles to help uh, you know kind of expand upon what we've talked about today. And I think in the end, you're going to have a product that you're really really proud of. Absolutely, everyone should try GMing. I I truly do believe that. Um, it, it's it's so helpful, even as just like 
if if you never want to jam again, you just want to be a, a player forever. Jamming once will really help you um, sort of build empathy for the other side of the screen. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. There we go. It's true. I need all the yeah, empathy all I could get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have after the first. Uh, you know, I want to say I played probably a half dozen or a dozen dozen sessions before I actually GM'd, and now I would say I would I would rather GM than play because mm. of the mm. how much yeah. more creative I feel you can be, and I love the stress of being on the spot. I feel yeah. like I do well under, so, so under that I. pressure. So do I. And it's it's interesting just seeing what your players are going to throw at you and and having to react to that is uh, it's always really really fun. All right, Steve, gauntlets laid down. We need to get you GM any game. <laughs> if you want to play, I hope. hit me up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, so uh, let's move on here. Uh, we actually have a new show segment that uh, we're going to do here. And uh, this new show segment is called Feed Your Greater Demon. Excellent. So in the Feed Your Greater Demon show segment, we talk about ideas that you can use to help support your, your FLGS and build your Woofrup community. Um, is it FLGS or Fligus? Ha. <laughs> oh, there we go. FLGS. Uh, okay. Fligus. <laughs> I like that. I've never heard that. I like it. <laughs> oh, so early on in our show, Ben, I don't know if you ever caught this. We so we did not used to call Woofrup Woofrup. Uh, like we grew up right. always knowing it as WFRP. But then when we started this podcast, apparently we were wrong and we got let like, known. R- ridiculed and <laughs> shouted at by the world. We ran a poll. Uh, we actually ran several polls. And believe it or not, the polls actually skewed away from Woofrup. But then um, we got shown a White Dwarf article that like – absolutely like 80, equivalently prove that yeah, it's woofer up so yeah. really yeah okay. yeah it's very very interesting so um i think daily dwarf <laughs> is the guy that showed it to us but oh uh, okay yeah hey well lance fligus will catch on fligus there we go now it's <laughs> it's canon now so <laughs> so uh today's idea um pretty much talk to your uh friendly local gaming store fligus or flgs we'll take a poll a uh, store owner about an RPG, you know, maybe looking for a group border binder. In fact, they may already have one, but if they don't, br- bring it up because um, they could easily create one. And uh, basically, this can help you find groups uh, uh, for players, you know, including Wolf Rup, but, you know, there's other role-playing games, of course. Uh, and, and, and also, you know, if you get your local uh, FLGS, uh, friendly local gaming store, to get into this, uh, it will definitely help. You know, it'll allow GMs to solicit players for specific sy- systems. You know, if you're dealing with a group, you only got two players, you know, you you want that third or fourth. Might be the easiest and best route to find the local players that do want to play. They just don't have that group to play with. Um, and also, in the end, you know, this supports the store by making the store a place to find and join groups. So all around, it's helpful for you. It's helpful for the store. They may not have even have thought of it yet, so definitely if you want a group, go to your local store, and uh, they might be able to either help you find a group, or at least you can maybe uh, get them to implement you know, that looking for a group board or binder. Absolutely. And so this is one of the things. We, we had a discussion at Gen Con with Tim Korkluski. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a North American sales, but um, he's the guy that makes sure that we here in the U.S. get 
our stuff shipped to us and and taken care of. So, um, but one of the things he was talking just about the support for local stores and local gaming communities and uh, really really kind of having a focus that Cubicle 7 cares about that. And actually, Dominic McDowell, in, in our session with him as well, in the uh, the new session, was talking about that as well. Those are things that they're looking at and uh, going want to want to do some support with that, uh, hopefully, in the near future. So um, yeah. you can start by starting at your gaming store. So if you don't have a group, I mean, it's easy to go online, and if that's the way you like to play, that's fine or whatever. Um, but... Don't think, oh man, I can't play Warhammer because I have nobody to play with. Start with your local gaming store and talk to the owner. Absolutely. Yeah, you are definitely not the only player that's looking for a group. Um, they're out there, tons of them. Um, it's just you got to get that connection. Well, and it's and also worth saying too that you you might be the only player looking for a Warhammer group, but that's only because other players don't necessarily might not even know about this system. So, yeah, you know, starting to talk about it, generate that hype a little bit, get, as I know, as soon as I, a lot of my friends don't know a lot about Warhammer because they've never really experienced it. And as soon as I started talking about it and describing it, the viciousness of this system and some of the crazy spells and miracles and things that can happen, as soon as I started generating that hype, then everybody started saying, well, yeah, I would definitely play that. When can we play that? So it's all about, you know, taking that first step, taking that initiative and building up that community where you're at. There's, um, there's one thing I'll add to that as well. We, Cubicle 7 is really excited about um, how we can support this. And if you happen to find that uh, when you do bring it up to your FLGS, uh, Fligus, uh, I will never get used to that, um, uh, then... And and you find that there are a lot of players in your area who are interested in it more than just for one group, um, at least more than you think just for one group. Let us know, um, you know, send us messages on Facebook um, where we're really keen to, to hear um, if there are, are people keen. And we've got some ideas in the works at the moment on how we can support that. So hopefully we can talk a little bit more about that soon. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, so uh, let's move on to our listener question segment. We don't have the really cool sound effect for this one. We need to come up with something. Here's the thing. <laughs> oh, hold on. Listener questions. <laughs> I love it. That's it. That's the <laughs> new thing. Every yeah, second now. Wow. <laughs> that was quick. All right, so... Um, so tonight we continue our regular segment on listener questions. Uh, before we get into tonight's question, though, uh, Matt, how can someone get us these questions? There are several ways to get us questions at Twitter, at Old World Podcast, Facebook, facebook.com slash Old World Podcast, and via email, questions at oldworldpodcast.com. All right, Steve, you want to read our question for tonight? Um, our question tonight is from Ariner Fickinson on Twitter. He said, I'm a fan of your podcast and a starting GM of Wolfrup 4th Edition. Could you help me understand one career? One player in our group chose a witch as a career. We have noticed that she cannot increase intelligence until the fourth last advance. She still has access to plenty of spells in the first three advances, which are nearly impossible to cast, even with channeling. that requires CN 14 
and it's really impossible to have 14 success levels. Uh, we are not sure if we understand the rules of magic and channeling wrong, or if the witch really is useless as a magic casting character. Uh, thanks a lot for your reply and for the podcast you're making. It's helping me be better DM and to better understand the rules. All right, so um, this is a good question, Andrew, and I actually, we already answered this, um, I think, on Twitter. But the answer, basically, to this is understanding a couple of things. First off, channeling is an extended test, not a simple test. So you don't have to get 14 success levels on that first time. You have to build it up over time. So uh, page 154 in your core rulebook talks about how extended tests work. But basically, here's a breakdown. Each round, you do an extended channeling test. So the success levels that you generate, you keep those every round until the total success levels that you have has reached the casting number of the spell you want to cast. Once you've reached that target casting number, the next round, then you can attempt to cast the spell using the normal rules with the language magic test, except you consider the casting number to be zero at that point. So all you need is, heck, you don't even need one success level. You just need to cast, you know, roll better than your, your language magic skill. And that's it. Keep in mind that channeling is more dangerous than even normal spell, uh, like casting the spell, because you can miscast on both the doubles and on the results uh, of the zero on the tens die, um, which we personally think that's awesome. <laughs> well, unless you take the right talent. Right. There are talents. Which is available to the witch. I would also direct you to our uh, our last, wasn't it? Yeah, our last uh, career episode We was all about witches and witch hunters. So that would also be a right. good resource, you know, potentially for some other information about witches. Yep. And uh, I also want to add one thing. Um, for your beginning witch, you know, initially you're just a brand new witch, so you're not even te- technically a witch. It's here when you're a hexer. Uh, but you have your petty magic. Most of those are, 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 are zero for the casting. But when it comes to channeling, channeling, the channeling skill relies off of your willpower, which you can increase yeah. on the first tier. So automatically you can get at least, you know, when you create your character, you can get that at least 10 bonus right away. Uh, but also, if you need a channel, um, I'd put in your experience points into your channeling skill because that will rely, you know, that'll help you get your success levels faster. So instead of maybe taking three rounds of combat to cast your spell, I might drop it down to two. And eventually you'll get it down to where, hey, you got so many points in your channeling skill which relies off your willpower that you might just need one turn or two turn to cast that powerful spell so there's some tactics to it you know with your experience points but no matter in the end your 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 witch isn't going to be a super caster right away it's going to take time um well and might have to do yeah go ahead i was gonna say a a spell with a 14 casting number that is a that is a massive, a massive spell. spell. Yeah, yeah. Most that, that, uh, that's, that's big time. <laughs> yeah. So and, it, it, and you should not be using that kind of spell in every combat. In fact, yeah. I, I mean, like the the spell in question isn't really a combat spell. It's um, it's intended for like you know cursing fields of crops and things like that. For sort of ritualized magic like the blight spell you will likely have quite a long time to sit back and channel. Um, You may even have, you know, a a coven of folks around you who um, are helping you and, you know, defending you if you're, you're casting something like blight. Um, 
so yeah, don't don't be too uh, put off with the the high CN. Right. Plus, trust me, your GM wants you to make that extended test over and over yeah. again because he's just yeah. waiting for that. Every time those mystery. dice roll, there's another chance for yeah. some hilarity yeah. to poor, ensue. Our poor wizard in our group, every time she wants to cast a spell, we all sit around here. We're not looking. We're not jumping for joy when we're she like passes. Wringing hands. We're wringing our hands waiting for her to roll that double. <laughs> we're terrible people. <laughs> also well, uh, there's there's one last thing I, I wanted to, to mention this is a really good example of why you might want to step outside of your career so whilst the witch doesn't get intelligence straight away a witch would do well to maybe take a few careers in something that does give intelligence mm. And that kind of like jumping around is is one of the the sort of main focuses of um, the the Wolfram system. Whilst you can start at Hexa and then build through Witch, Weird, and Warlock, uh, often it is much more to your advantage to jump around a little bit. Um, you know, uh, playing maybe a nun or something like that uh, who does get intelligence and then jumping into a hexa and then jumping back to being an abbess as as a nun as you like progress in that space and and infiltrate uh, a cult of sigma or whatever and then eventually come out as a warlock like that's not only building building a really interesting story but it will give you um, some of those additional interesting powers to to make your witch really shine good point now I know how I want to build my witch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the light bulb just went off. <laughs> casting, <laughs> casting petty spells and doing blessings and doing right. all these other there things. There we go. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> Sounds That's pretty awesome. good. <laughs> well, hey, uh, thanks to everybody who sent us uh, in questions and all of, of your support. Uh, if you have questions of your own, uh, don't hesitate to send them our way. Absolutely. And uh, that's the end of our show tonight. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Ben, for joining us. Um, of course. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. Before we go, we have one question to ask you, Ben, and I think it's the one that our listeners are looking forward to hear the most. I certainly am. Oh, yes. Can you tell us what your favorite experience you've ever had in a Wolf Rip game is? Yes. Okay. So uh, it was a really big campaign. It was We were playing in Prague, and uh, it was set in second edition so this was after the storm of chaos the the campaign premise was that uh the the party were uh, accompanying a apprentice ulgu magister who was coming in to basically make sure prague was ready for the next spring driving because everyone was afraid that archaon's horde wasn't actually the end times so the campaign went for for several years both in and out of game uh and Prague is an absolute hotbed of uh, of every kind of evil imaginable, and the players had been progressing very far. They were all beyond their fourth career at this point, uh, at the, the end of the campaign. All very heroic figures. When the the new, like, uh, ever-chosen shows up, boastfully saying that they're, you know, the, the, the Lord of the End times, the Child of Azatzine, all of these grand titles... And uh, we had this big siege of the city of Prague. The walls fell, lots of their friends died, and it was, it was a super emotional um, siege. 
but finally the um, the players invoked the the magic of uh, one of these big squares in in the city of Prague called the the Square of Kisses, and uh, forced the child of Azatzine to step forward and and fight them one on one. So the child, you know, steps forward. The the both sides of the the battlefield calm down for a moment. The child steps forward and and reveals this this magical artifact that they say will make sure that like no one else fights that that it, it lock everything down so that only they can fight and then they can you know figure out the they can decide the the fate of prague so the party agrees to use this magical artifact um it creates this big magical bubble around them which is a, actually a time dilation device they get locked inside this bubble they can't leave and outside the fighting starts again the lord of the ever chosen had deceived them, um, and they started watching their friends and loved ones in the city of Prague that they had, you know, built up uh, relationships with over years. Um, as I say, both in and out of game, they start getting cut down and, um, the party is furious. Uh, so they, are are you the GM in this? Yeah. I'm the GM. Okay. Um, they were, they were so upset with the child. Um, so they, they charge, um, but this, Chaos Lord is just unstoppable. They they can't um, seem to, to get a hit on him. He's rolling incredibly well. His magical items are keeping him very powerful. One of the, the characters, uh, a priest of Daj, the Kislevite god of hearth and home, she has a spell that can like trap someone in, in one space and, and keep them from... Uh, teleporting around and bind their arms uh, if they break the guest right, which she reasoned uh, the child very much had broken the guest right by being invited into the Square of Kisses to have this very honorable fight and then breaking uh, the rules set down. But she couldn't finish the... um, She couldn't get the spell off. It was too high uh, of a casting number. So I offered her... A, a deal like I, I took her away from the, the table and I offered her a deal that if she used a blood sacrifice um, her own she would be able to, to cast the spell and we we spoke about it and I said you know the because of how powerful the spell is and because of how um, strong chaos is here you know that if you perform a blood r- sacrifice on yourself it will it will take it all it will kill you and and you will your your character will die, but you will be able to pull off the spell. So so she she nods at that, she understands, and we come back to the table. Everyone's, you know, sitting around with bated breath. I ask, you know, everyone what they're they're doing in their turn. And and she says, I draw my dagger. And everyone's like, What are you doing? You're a you're a priest. You know, drawing your dagger's not gonna do anything. You're a terrible fighter. And I draw it across my neck. And everyone's freaking out. Like, what do, you, what, what do you mean you draw it across you? She describes how the um, the magic, like, flows out and the, the miracle starts getting woven together and the child of Azatine gets bound bound in place. All of the players are, like, sitting there dumbfounded. When they realize that the child can't move anymore, they charge in and, and cut him down. And they, they won. They defeated the Chaos Lord. And with that, the... the Armies started to retreat, and they they defended Prague successfully. We had like a really quick epilogue uh, moment after that, where uh, everyone was assembled in 
what used to be the Magnus Gardens uh, in the city, which commemorated, you know, Magnus the Pious for saving the city of Prague, which is now called the Hero Gardens, that has a statue of her character as well next to, to Magnus the Pious. Wow. Um, I'm like, and like tearing up over here. All right. Yeah. Everyone at the table was in tears. <laughs> I, I was like bawling my eyes out, <laughs> narrating everything that was happening. Um, Felicity, the player was like just beside herself. And, and it was a super emotional, but super beautiful moment. And we still talk about, that campaign and, and how it ended and mm-hmm. um, still talk about like the, the firebird of Daj like flying over, which is mm-hmm. her character's like memory now. And yeah, it's, it was a really, really beautiful moment. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> that got yeah, so that was my one. <laughs> that's, that, I wasn't even playing. That took a decidedly different turn than most of the times we asked no. this question where it's like <laughs> somebody exploded with bits all over the room or, or something hilarious happened. Yeah, that was awesome. I'm sitting here with goosebumps and I'm like, I'm listening. Like I was sitting here on the edge of my, like, Oh, what? Oh my gosh. What's going to happen? It's, Oh, that's a great one, Ben. Woo. Yeah. It was emotional. It was very emotional. That's the one to beat. Guys. (laughs) Wow. All right. So who wants to stop using me as a GM and go play for Ben? That's yeah. <laughs> right. Do you have an opening? Yeah. <laughs> uh, if if I ever get a chance to run you folks a, a session, I would love to. That uh, we will take oh, you up na- on that. Man. Name the day and time, my friend, and we will. <laughs> so, guys, going to Australia? Ready? Let's go get some tickets. <laughs> oh, oh, wow! Um, it, by far, my fa- one of the favorite things when we have uh, folks on this show is asking for that moment, and uh, it's always great yeah that's my yeah. favorite my favorite part of having someone on it's a good story i love hearing those those stories from folks just like hearing their passion um is really powerful to me oh so good oh all right well with that um old worlders we're, we're about ready to wrap this up as always i feel like we i should stop even telling you guys what's going to be on our next episode because tune in, tune in next time for more grim and perilous right exactly because <laughs> it changes so Subject much to change so um anyway be sure to check on us uh next time so intrepid listeners keep in touch let us know your questions feedback and even show topic suggestions they're always appreciated Um, You can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com, Twitter at Old World Podcast, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Old World Podcast. And while you're checking us out on the various social interwebs, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. If you like what we're doing and want to help out, become a patron. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help support the show and get some cool rewards too. Check us out at patreon.com slash oldworldpodcast. Also, let us know what you think. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more Warhammer fans. So, Ben, where can people find you? So, I uh, have a Twitter, at, uh, which is at Ben underscore Sherry. That's S-C-E-R-R-I. And I am also on uh, the Ratcatchers Guild pretty frequently. Um, although... I don't often get a chance to post busy writing or have content. <laughs> That's fine. Take all the time you need. Yeah, right? No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is Lance saying good night 
and we're not responsible what your friends think of you when you start saying Fligus. Yeah. This is Matt. The next time you attend the Greater Uber's Right Gaming Convention, pack extra hand sanitizer. You definitely don't want to catch Nurgle's Rot. And this is Steve. Good night, and may your adventures be full of surprises. And this is Ben, with the only piece of advice being, don't, just don't look into the darkness. It's not going to go well. Just step back, please. Awesome. That advice is in stark contrast to what you try to get us to do every time we play, Lance, and that is <laughs> yeah, take the Yeah, it's a lie, honestly. Step into the darkness, <laughs> uh, look into it, and it's, give yourself over to the stench. It's the only way forward. It's um, way funner on the dark side. Let's <laughs> <to> be honest. <laughs> This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC.